zero hours. Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero hours! Hello and welcome to Zero Hours Podcast with me, Catherine Mather, where I speak to comedians and creatives about the best and worst jobs they've done to get by. Today, I'm joined by comedian and resource coordinator, Edda McCaffrey. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good, thank you, Catherine. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for being on. We have talked for almost the entire length of this podcast. Um, <laughs> just and then chatting. after... After 45 minutes, we thought, should probably hit record at some point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've uh, we've basically done the whole podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Goodbye. No. Bye, everybody. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's been... When was the last time we saw each other? I don't... I mean, comedy's weird, isn't it? So it's definitely pre-pandemic, because I now uh, live in the North, capital T, capital M, and you now live in the South, capital T, capital S. Mm. Um but even when you're in the same circuit, it's a strange thing. You can go, like, months without seeing someone, and then you can do four gigs with each other in the same two-week period, and then, boom, then there's another eight months before you see each other again. So truth be told, I've got literally no idea. And no. also, social media kind of confuses your brain, because in my head, I'm like, I see Catherine all the time, but I don't. I see your Instagram posts all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but, uh, but it is a pleasure to see you. Yeah, feels it's like I saw you. Feels like I saw you yesterday. Ah, <laughs> and uh, that's how the conversation went on. It was just, just like old friends. Yes, exactly. Um, so I mean, I feel like we should probably get directly into the meaty meat of the subject. Um, what has your worst job been? My worst job was I got hired to be the accounts assistant for a film company, a budding film company that produced then and now of high profile stuff um but the company in question was a little bit tight i didn't really want to hire an accounts assistant basically spoiler alert i i don't have any accounts experience <laughs> what happened was i at the time i was working at a church and i was basically and i don't know what you'd call it i was like a data entry person really all, all i do is at this church i would go through gift aid donations uh, or donations to the church and log it for gift aid purposes and that was just my job all the time but because it was a bit financy <laughs> it was a yeah. bit money-ish this fund company was like oh yeah let's just pay this guy 16k you know in london to do uh, our accounts job when really they should have been paying at the time i don't know 24 25k for a graduate accounts person with the experience to do that yeah and there was like this three-tier stage to the job there was the first month where I was basically told look this department my boss this is a bit of a mess but we're going to get on top of this the last person left in a right state you and me we're going to pull through it there was the second month when it became really clear we weren't going to get on top of this and I wasn't good enough to do that <laughs> where she was basically saying, oh, this is annoying. They're not giving us the money this department needs, which I think was the correct assessment. I think in that point, she then may have asked for more money for the department. They gave a clear no. And then she spent the third month scapegoating me for all the problems that existed before I joined and being quite cruel and vitriolic. And I'm a, I was one of those people, I always think like if I'm down, I'm quite good at hiding it. Yeah. But as I discovered in this period, I absolutely wasn't. My friends have said, <laughs> Aiden, you were visibly, you just weren't yourself ever. I saw the IT guy from that company about three months after I left. Um, I moved on to one of the best jobs I ever had, actually. And I, a few months later, I bumped into the IT guy from, from the film company in a cinema. He was like, Aiden, how are you doing? Oh, David, yeah, you were right. And we're shaking hands and stuff. And the guy turned to his mate and said, hey, this guy, when I last saw him a few months ago, he was a shadow of the man you see now. He was a broken shell of a man. And you know, you're thinking, I never told you I was down, but it <laughs> must have just been so obvious that I yeah. was just bleakly depressed in this job, which I had no qualifications for, and which I was then being like scapegoated for having, you know, it's like, unless I'd gone back in time and burned their records, there was no way I could have been responsible for the things that are wrong with that department. Um, so yeah. That's the worst job I've ever had. Fortunately, it was only for three months. It's literally all I could hack. And it's actually the only time I've quit a job without having a job to go on to. Because I'm usually, yeah. I've basically been in continuous employment since I was 15. Although I did do a degree, I 
basically my mum didn't give me any pocket money. She was just one of those like northern mums that was like, if you want money, go and get a job. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, okay, gotta go and get a job. And it's good that because it really teaches you the value of money. Mm. Um, but as a result, I've never quit without knowing what's next, except that time because it was so miserable. I was just like, I cannot do another day of this. I have to quit my job. And well, uh, I did. I go. think that really is a tell of a job, isn't it? Yeah. When you're if like... you break one of your life rules, it's like Batman killing someone. He broke his one rule. <laughs> that's how, that's how yeah. depressed Batman was in that job. Yeah, I don't think, well, I think that Batman has killed a lot of people just because you beat somebody up to within an inch of their life and then left them alone on a rooftop yes. in Gotham. I didn't yes. kill him. You didn't kill him, but you did, didn't you, Batman? Ba- Batman's all right. He's given a lot of goons brain hemorrhages, but he's never killed them. No, he's no. Right. He's Batman's just left them right. paralysed in a vegetative state. Exactly. <laughs> unable to provide for their children. He turned their brain into soup, but he's never killed. He's all right. He's a good guy. He really is. That rich man going around beating up the poor. I'm pretty sure in the very first Batman film, the, or the second, if you count the 60s one, basically the Michael Keaton one, I'm pretty sure it opens with him dropping someone off a roof. <laughs> and yet there's this hey. whole, he's never killed. It's like, I'm pretty sure it was the first thing I ever saw him do. It was just <laughs> horrendously murder someone. The floor killed him, Aiden. Yeah, exactly. He was alive the last time Batman touched him. <laughs> that cement floor had a vendetta against that goon's spine. Exactly. Nothing to do with the Caped Crusader. <laughs> so I'm so sorry, I immediately took it off your job. Um, so this this accounts job, yes. the, the first thing that you hear in a job, you don't want it to be, we're going to pull through this eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at what point were the alarm bells? Was there ever a period of hope and happiness in it or was it immediately the worst? Well, like I said, the first month was kind of okay, but I'd be lying if I said I was really enjoying it because it was, whenever you join a job, you have outsider syndrome or whatever. What's the term they use when you don't really know what you're doing? And usually it's okay because you have ambitions within that job. You've got goals for yourself. And then it's really satisfying when you turn that corner, you're like, right, I'm getting this now. I'm doing this well. And so I did have that, but I guess because I had no real ambitions within that. Uh, When I moved to London, I just had this vague sense of, I want to work in media. I want to do something to do with media. And, you know, while that vague sense of that led to some really good jobs, where I was like, oh, I like, for example, I work, I used to do, um, subtitle. I used to produce the uh, sign language stuff for BBC Sign Zone. Oh, cool. That was, that was a great job. And, but at the time, but, you know, it's not like when I was five, I was like, I want to auto cue scripts for deaf people. That's my goal in life. But when you find these little, you know, cool little jobs, like, oh, this is really fun. Um, uh, I can't remember the point I was making now. But basically, yeah, I, I really sorry, yeah, that vague sense of I want to work in media then can lead you into some odd jobs, some weird jobs. Um, and then that's kind of what happened with the uh, the job at the film company. Uh, so was there any happiness? I mean, the only good thing about it was, I guess there was some bragging rights for having working for a place that produced high-profile stuff. But, I mean, it's so fleeting. It's like, oh, yeah, you know that documentary about that cool band? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's who I work for. Oh, cool. <laughs> but that one moment of your friend <laughs> thinking you're cool does not make up for eight hours a day of professional misery. No. I'm being very careful not to name the company. Even, yeah. yeah <laughs> and then he said twice. the name of a documentary, which then you could have figured out who it was, but I don't know. I don't want to burn any bridges. Because no. who knows? Maybe one day they'll produce my stand-up special. Who knows? Maybe. Well, yeah, and we don't want to uh, get sued. Either. Exactly, yes. Um, so... As well, with the um, being a, a shell of a man yeah. <laughs> that everybody seemed to observe, was that a thing that you were, and, and I think you've kind of already uh, sort of talked about this, but like, um, was that a thing that you acknowledged at the time or was it a thing that you only kind of worked out later and that were people telling you that at the time? Was that why you left or? No, no, because I, I knew I hated it. But yeah. I, I, I think the point I was making was I thought slash think I'm good at hiding when I'm... But actually, I've realised I'm not at all. Like, I'm really... Even at my current job, if I have a bad day, my boss... I've got I've got to change the boss, and she's really perceptive, but, like, right. annoyingly perceptive. Because I'm one of those guys, like, I don't want... I'm happy to have a mental health check, but not all the time, whereas she's always like, are you all right, Aiden? 
I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. But then my insistence that I'm fine is just a further giveaway that I'm not fine. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So, um, uh, but you know, I knew, I knew something was wrong and uh, I, I just applied for other jobs. Uh, well, I quit and then I applied to the jobs and then I got one and, uh, and, and it was, and it's, it's, it, it's, it was much better. Like I immediately was a lot happier. My friend said, uh, like the guy, you know, the guy, the IT guy who I bumped into was like, whoa, you, you're totally different to what you were like a few months ago. Um, and it's just a depressing reality of life is that we do need to work, but you have to spend 40 hours of your life at work. And uh, so, there you go. How good would that be? If you spend 40 <laughs> yeah. hours of your life, well, then my 40 hours, I'm retiring yeah. at 18. Um, uh, you spend 40 hours of your week at work minimum. Uh, so you kind of have to enjoy it or you have to like the people or you have to find it tolerable. A friend once said to me a thing like, there's like three things in life, job, love, social. And she reckoned you needed two of those three things to do to, for it to work. So you could hate your job, but if you have a stable relationship and you love your friends and you have a big social life, you probably can get through. Um, or if you love your job and you love your friends, but you don't have a romantic partner, uh, yeah, you can probably end up by, but if you have any combination of the two, it will probably overwhelm you. Because you basically, I guess the logic is you will be two thirds unhappy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But ideally, you should, but ideally, you should aim to have all three things, really. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because yeah. uh, well, I guess I was just asking because I know that in um, I've had jobs before where you, you're like, God, I feel I, I don't really like my job, but I got it. I just feel terrible all the time. And then you leave the job and you're like, Oh my God. It wasn't me. I wasn't unhappy. Well, I was unhappy, but it was because of that job. But you don't. It can yes. sometimes be a retrospective thing. Yes. Right? Oh yeah, definitely. Especially when you're in your early. Because I that was like a, my first like postgraduate job, right? A proper one anyway. And um, it's very different. You don't really know. You think you know yourself in your early twenties, but as a man rapidly approaching forty, you sort of realise there's always life lessons about yourself that you're learning. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've nothing to compare it to, if it's your first sort of proper yeah. job, if you you know, um, yeah, if you know what I mean, then it's um, you know, oh my god, this is just what work is. Yeah. Um, so what did you do at uni? Uh, I did a very valuable degree. I got a theatre studies and digital arts degree, a third class degree. Thank you very much, <laughs> Mister Mister Employable with his third. Um, yeah, no, it's theatre studies. Um, and to be honest, I'm not entirely sure it's benefited me in any way whatsoever <laughs> professionally. <laughs> the only thing that I think, I did enjoy my degree, but I had a bit of a bad attitude. I think I just, I viewed it as a bit of a DOS. I'm part of that like Tony Blair generation of where maybe slightly two people went to uni uh, or I should have maybe done something else that was more interested yeah. in like history or something. Um, uh, I think I wasn't a total waste, like, at least in terms of my artistic sensibilities, at risk of sounding pretentious, because uh, actually it made me realise when you do a theatre degree, they do teach you about quite abstract out there stuff like Dadaism and like, oh, if we release a butterfly into a theatre and it flaps its wings, is that a performance? You know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And I had a really visceral reaction to like, no, it is not. <laughs> I get where you're coming from, but it, it, it's, or it is a performance but it's a shit performance. It's fucking yeah. dull. And it gave me an appreciation of like, um, just, I don't know, abstract for abstract sake. Like you need to have ideas. You need to load, you know what I mean? Whatever your thing is that you're doing, whether it's a film, a novel, stand-up, music, ideas have to be loaded into it. And that could take many forms. It could be like prog rock. It could be pop, you know, it could be Stuart Lee. It could be Michael McIntyre, but things, you have to have ideas. You can't just hide behind, I don't know, uh, abstract nothingness so although I didn't gain anything professionally in terms of uh, employment uh, from the from the from the degree it, it was useful even if it was like it helped me realize no that's not what I'm into I'm into this you know I'm into mm -hmm. this it's why like when I first got into comedy I didn't think I was that into gag comedians like Jimmy Carr yeah I quite like storyteller comedians but I always had this thing in my head like that's a technical skill though in a way yeah. it's almost like a trade in a weird way like Jimmy Carr can write 200 jokes a year and I can't and that always played in my mind a bit and actually as I've gone on through my stand-up career I've benefited from trying to hone that and it's not not that I want to be uh, Gary Delaney as much as I respect him which is not that I want to be Gary Delaney it's more like god that's a really useful 
thing to have in your arsenal if you can write proper jokes and then then if you are telling a story you can drop gags into them as like asides so uh, yeah I don't know if yeah. that in any way answers your question or if I just deviated massively but that's no, what no. I think it absolutely did um and i think yeah that's that's it isn't it it's um good to be able to look at different types of uh comedy or performance and just go well you know what this isn't for me but then it's not aimed at me and i i actually appreciate the technical craft that's gone into it and the skills that you have and you know it's just because i don't like it doesn't mean it's not good yeah um but i think a lot with particularly stand-up people go oh i don't like Catherine Mather or oh I don't like Gary Delaney and it's like it's not that you don't like them yeah it's that you uh their performance is not perhaps to you. your test <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. it's like I hate them as a person <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so people will, like you'll despise McIntyre because they don't like his comedy and I don't know what he's like in person but it's just like it feels a bit extreme but I'm probably guilty of it like uh I always get a bit rattled by Stuart Lee's contrarianism but mm. that could could just be a character. I mean, he says it's a character, but it annoys me. That's what's interesting about stand-up is like, it, it's forcing you to connect uh, like on quite a personal level with stuff. So actually you do judge the whole thing. Um, and then going back to a, a chat we were having off or at the start of the pod, like I've only started, I've started to be better as a comedian by talking about who I am, even though who I am is a relatively privileged middle-class guy from a posh town. People want to know. Mm. I was getting, last year, straight out of lockdown, I was getting gummed off, I'd done 200 gigs. I was getting gummed off at Beat the Frog. And I remember looking at the new comedians, new, like visibly new comedians who were like very rehearsed, who mm. were rough around the edges, going through and beating me. And I, 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 did, I don't want to be one of those like bitter people. I said, like, what have they gone through? Well, I should have gone through. And the conclusion I came to was like, they were wearing their personalities on their sleeve. And I, that was the big thing. Was like, I think I need to talk about who I am where I'm from, uh, even if it's uh, even if it's a thing that's currently out of vogue, like say being a white male from a posh town, because people want to know. And actually, I've been doing better as a comedian for it. That's great, because yeah, yeah, I think people are um, much more perceptive than we give them credit for, and they can see who you are. Yes, and I think often you will see actors going into it pretending. And they don't do very well because you can see that they're pretending yeah. what uh, who they are. So have you gone back and done um, the gong show since you're sort of changing tactics? I have, since I changed tactics, I have beat every gong that I have done since. That's incredible. I've done, I've done three or four and I've beat everyone. And it's like, I mean, one of them I just scraped through because I nearly torpedoed it with some very awkward crowd banter that I was not equipped to do. But, uh, <laughs> but, no, but it shows you, that's what I mean. Like, I've gone back and said, oh, I can beat Gongs now. And now it's like, oh, wait, now maybe I can try and win the night. That's the next goal. It's like, I can cross the finish line, but can I actually win the night? Um, uh, so, yeah, no, it's, it's worked. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> that's good. It'd be sort of <laughs> true to yourself, I guess. Is yeah, exactly. The um, Yeah, even, because it is a performance, but I, I think... Uh, do you feel like you play a character? Are you a... A, bit, a bit, yeah. It's something I'm trying to figure out, which is I'm not posh, <laughs> but then I, I am just relatively from a more comfortable background than a lot of people. Hmm. And I, I, I haven't, I'm, well, the current debate I'm having is like, how much do I lean into it? Because I'm not, I'm, I think they can tell that I'm not like Ivo Grayer. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or someone who's from a super posh background. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I do struggle with that slightly. And there's certain jokes where I'm like, hmm, do I? And there's a joke I tell that implies I went to a private school, but I didn't. Right. I can't tell if that fudge. And I'll, 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 I'll make it a joke. I'm talking about, as part of a story, I'm talking about me and my friends having a party. And I say, me and my friends, and all, for the record, all my friends, they're just as middle class as me. You know, we all went to the same school. You know, it wasn't a posh school. Anyone could go as long as you had money. Um, and I... <laughs> That, that almost sounds like I went to a pain school, but I didn't. But my logic in my head is like, yeah, but you were living in a barely affluent town. So you probably did need money in some way to have been able to, to live there and then go to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so, to be in the catchment area. And I may be totally overthinking it. Or maybe I don't. Maybe I do need to overthink it. I don't know. You, you know what it's like with comedy. We overthink everything. Oh, yeah. So I would say if the joke is working, keep it. Yeah. 
if it's if it makes um if it's not too weird with everything else that you're saying and it fits yes. who you are and uh it's getting laughs fucking keep it yes. i've told so many lies <laughs> <laughs> You don't even know who you are anymore. Kat. No, <laughs> but I think you're just a caricature of who you are, aren't you? That's the yes. bit when you're on stage. So it's um, just whatever plays into. into it gets that. a few laughs, that joke. It's a good. Um, I don't know what to call it. Like a a, a a first step joke where you're going up the steps to the big laugh, but you need lots of little laughs along the way so they're yeah. warmed up for the big laugh at the end. Yeah, that's a good uh, way of putting it. Way of cooking calling it i think uh, yeah um yeah so was there much performance in your degree or was yes. it more theory okay no, so. no it was, and that was the bit that i did better at. and actually looking back because i never wanted to be a stand-up comedian really mm. i wanted to be a writer but all the stuff i actually did well at in the degree because a bit lazy with the written work but but if you looked at all my performance work it was always graded really highly and it was because yeah. i leaned into comedy stuff um, like, uh, uh, yeah, and that was just always the, the best thing because I just liked writing scripts. And because it was theatre, you then had to perform yourself, which I was fine with. Um, uh, and yeah, and it was a, uh, yeah, it's a good laugh. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> so at what point was it, did you leave that and then were you, were you writing or? What I wanted to do was I wanted to be a sitcom writer. Right. Um, I basically wanted to be Stephen Moffat as well. I wanted to basically write some sitcoms, win some awards, then get asked to write Doctor Who for three years. That was yeah. basically my life plan in my twenties. <laughs> um, and although I had some flashes of interest, I won uh, the David Nobbs Comedy Writing Prize, and I got a meeting with uh, the ex-head of BBC and Sky, where we discussed ideas and scribbled loads of great feedback on my scripts. It just nothing was really breaking through. I tried to do like radio podcasts mm-hmm. uh well so basically like sitcoms performed as live radio things i would go into pubs in london set up some mics get some professional actors in and they'd read out the the scripts that i'd written and it was really good fun it was a really good way of like uh realizing that uh, if an audience is watching this i have there has to be jokes in this yeah. there has to it can't just be i can't hide behind the fact that i'm posting this to bbc tv an actual paying audience are going to watch this um but I don't know, I sort of started to realise in my late 20s that like the only people I knew who were doing getting paid to write comedy were um, stand-ups. And yeah. like the only people in my life that I knew tangentially, and it was people like Nish Kumar and Gronje Maguire and Tom Neenan. And not, not that I knew these people well, but I just knew of them. And I was like, oh, they're, 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 they're getting credits on, I don't know, the news quiz, or they're getting credits on Have I Got News For You. And I knew for a fact they were all stand-up comedians. And it actually grated me slightly because I was like, oh, I don't want to have to do stand-up. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to be Stephen Moffat and send a script somewhere and someone goes, great, we'll make it and we'll put it on Netflix and then you'll be famous. <laughs> yeah. But I just sort of realised I had to suck it up and do it. I had to, had to, had to tread the boards, the comedy yeah. boards to do it. And uh, I still haven't got a sitcom produced, but hey, at least I am getting paid some money very occasionally to, to do co- to do for my jokes. So, <laughs> you know, it's a slow it's a slow step in the right direction. And are you still writing? No. Well, we were discussing this pre-pod. I personally find it very hard to have a day job and also do comedy. I can just about do it. Yeah. The idea that I would then do a podcast or also write sitcoms, I just. If I was in my twenties, maybe I could do it. But when you're married and you're trying to balance like a marriage and a day job and all this stuff, it's too much. So everything else bar live stand-up is on the back burner until I can go semi-pro or pro. That's like the way I'm thinking about it now. Because um, it, it is it's very difficult. I had a friend who, uh, and I shouldn't say that actually. I had a friend who would complain about not having enough time to do stuff, but he didn't have a job. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, mate, I would fucking love to just spend all day writing scripts. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I am writing scripts, but I'm doing it, I'm getting up an hour earlier in the morning to do it before I go into work. And uh, you just have to be, you just have to be driven like that, don't you? Yeah, but then equally, I would say, for example, you know, when the um, pandemic, uh, lockdown one, so I didn't have a job and I was like, great, I've got all this time to write. And I, um, I was trying to write a history podcast and I managed to write um, 
two episodes (laughs) (laughs) and it's just so much work and it's so hard and then I think the um the not depression of knowing that the world is ending but the the horrible realization that oh god this is longer term and yeah (laughs) and the sort of paralysis that comes with that uh then just stop me from producing anything and I think a lot of comedians found similarly they were like oh great I've got all this time to write but then you can't necessarily be funny if you're not going out and seeing people and working and doing things so I wonder if um if we were to both just have our day jobs go you know what you're on we'll pay you but you don't have to come in would we be as productive as we think we would be if we didn't? I'd probably just watch more films, yeah. <laughs> what was your... I, I tried to write a history podcast. What was your history podcast going to be about, Catherine, if you don't mind uh, me asking? Oh, just ladies in history. I've put um, them on this... Uh, I, I sort of released them as bonus episodes. I did one about Anne Frank and one about animals um, in World War Two that got wow. medals. Um, wow. I, I, yeah, they're bonus episodes on here. I hope I can write some more of it. I assume so. You do a lady each episode from history, and then you rank them in terms of hotness. Is that how? Yeah, they... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, like first book, but um, yeah, people who are dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mine was I, the one I tried to write was uh, I tried to write a spoof biography series about every American president. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, and I, I think I got up to Jefferson. Mm. Uh, and, and this isn't even recording, this is just writing. I think I got up to Jefferson, who was the third president. I got three <laughs> presidents in before I uh, gave up. Um, yeah. And, uh, who knows, maybe I'll go back to that one day. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. It's just so much work, isn't it? Um, we, can, we can merge the ideas, Catherine, but uh, unfortunately there's never been a woman president, so uh, it's not going to work. Uh, yet. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Joe, Joe K- Kamala Harris is just... One eighty-year-old man's heartbeat away. <laughs> I hope. I hope. I hope that's not how the first woman president gets elected. But I've yeah. got an increasing suspicion that is how the first female president will be elected. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. yeah, I think as well. It was such a shame that I'm so sorry. I'm getting off topic here, but that no, no, um, so between Biden and Trump, everybody acted like Biden was the second coming of Jesus. Like, but he's <laughs> also got allegations of sexual assault made against him just fewer like what a choice that doesn't make him a good guy (laughs) no there's lots of footage of him stroking women's hair and shoulders and and at press events like when he was vice president like someone will be presented cutting a ribbon and he'll be there behind a woman just stroking them and they're looking wins like it's so flagrant, do you know what I mean? It's not even behind closed doors. Not that, that would be good. It's just, no. it's so natural to him that he's just doing it on stage. Like, oh. Yeah, and at weird. a certain point, like, you're not going to change an 80-year-old man's perspective, are you? Like, that's just who he is now. But he's, if he's not had a light bulb moment in 80 years, you're not going to be like, hey, perhaps your behaviour is wrong. And he's going to go, oh, my God, you're correct. Yeah. I'm a monster. <laughs> Hopefully each successive president now will have grown slightly less women. So you've got Trump, like an absolute monster. And then you've got uh, Biden strokes on the shoulders when they're not asking. And then uh, the next one will have just like brushed their knuckle against a woman's nipple by mistake once. Mm-hmm. And then the next one after that, they'll be squeaky clean and they'll do nothing, hopefully. Yeah, that's the dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a sliding scale of less bad predators. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <that's> so, <laughs> so you said, um, I'm interested in the job, uh, the, um, the sign language job. How yes. how did you get into that? How does that work? I just applied for a production assistant role at a company. And I yeah. didn't really... I sort of had a vague sense it was to do with subtitling or something, because the company also did subtitling. Right. And when I got there, they were just like, uh, yeah, you, you'll be basically... I mean, I say production assistant, but you're kind of producing the 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 sign zone stuff for mm-hmm. BBC and the sign language stuff for Channel 4. And it was basically like just... You'd order the tape of the original programme, whatever it was, say The Apprentice or Escape to the Country. And then you'd book out studio time. Uh, you'd prepare, you'd use the subtitle file to create an auto cue script for, because all the signs are deaf. Most of them are deaf, sorry. Mm-hmm. So they have to, you would watch it. You'd basically sit, so when you watch the sign language stuff on, on, on TV, 
just to the left of them off camera will be someone like me sitting there auto queuing it for them so they can uh, they read they can know where you are in the program and uh and yeah that was basically it and it's just a fun job because you were getting paid to watch tv mm. uh, and loads of it as well i mean some of it was rubbish like i hated having to do hobby city i yeah. was especially dull but some of it was quite good i got into horrible histories through that job because i didn't watch children's tv because why would it? i was in my 20s and then suddenly, like, we were doing Horrible Histories, and I was like, this is, like, a really good sketch comedy. Yeah, <laughs> And you'd actually excellent. be like, yeah, you'd be sitting in the corner actually, like, stifling laughter. Like, I actually have to make sure that I'm auto-cueing this accurately, but it's really, really funny. It's laugh-out-loud funny. Um, yeah, no, it, it was great. Yeah. So um, what? how do they choose which, which ones to have the sign language interpreters on? That was a big, that wasn't us, because basically my company was paid by the companies to do it. So someone at the BBC would go through and go, right, apprentice, uh, you know, country file, this, some children's team. I mean, they tried to pick a range. So there'd be a bit of children's stuff, a bit of adult stuff. There'd be a film once a week they, they'd send in. Um, yeah. I got quite into Hollyoke. One of the problems is, you know, there's like a thing where Apparently, like if, I think it was Dr. Gillian McKeith said, if you eat 10 things, if you eat one thing 10 times, you will learn to like it. Yeah. And I also thought that was rubbish, but I actually realised from auto-queuing the Hollyoaks omnibus solidly for two years, that it's true, because I was someone who hated Hollyoaks. <coughs> but after a while, enough exposure, you do get Stockholm Syndrome into liking it. Yeah. Uh, and I found this out, because I was, I was auto-queuing it, and there was this whole plot about a guy fancied a girl but she didn't fancy him or something and then like it turned out that that girl was a man and I remember being like auto-cueing it being like what the hell what <laughs> and then I realized at that moment the Hollyoaks had got me it's yeah. just like just through sheer overexposure to just hours of uh, I don't know sort of northwestern melodrama <laughs> seeped into my veins and then there was another plot twist where this guy became best friends with this other guy and then uh and he went and he went to the guy's family's house and this is like teenagers and when he got to the family's house he realized that the dad of the other family was his dad his dad's got a second family that was the plot twist <gasps> oh my and I think, god yeah my reaction was the same as yours and it was, it was a mixture of your reaction and disappointment with myself for having been <laughs> suck it into a show aimed at 15 year olds but it bloody worked was that your first soap or did you have did you grow <laughs> up on a soap no i was quite into eastenders when i was a teenager right but it's weird i got really into eastenders for a good few years and then i remember the cutoff was so quick which is around the age of 15 16 there was a week a whole week of eastenders where it was just all the old ones all the old characters went to spain on holiday right and that was it and it, it was a clean break. It was like, if you want to stop watching EastEnders, we've got the perfect way of going cold turkey, which yeah. is we're going to send Doc Cotton, Peggy, and Mike Reed to Madrid, to a Madrid beach. No, that doesn't make sense because Madrid's not on the coast. To a South Mediterranean Spanish beach for five days. And uh, it was just cold turkey. I felt like a drug, like a an addict sort of changed to a bed, sweating <laughs> out the last remnants of heroin because I never watched EastEnders ever again. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful story. <laughs> do, you, do you have a favourite soap? I grew up on Coronation Street uh, because... Because you're a northern parody. Yeah, South, Manchester. Yeah. And then I remember, because um, they opened up the uh, studios so you could have a, a wander around. And oh, I took my friend for her birthday and we had... <laughs> We were the youngest people there by about 30 years who wow. didn't have children with them. They were like children with their grandparents. And then yeah. we turned up pissed. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we had the best day. We, um, we, I don't know if it is um, like, if it was, I can't think of the word now because I, I'm tired. If um, it was not in, it was in poor taste but we did um, act out Tina McIntyre's death scene when wow. she got pushed <laughs> off, the, off that balcony. So we just took pictures of each other lay on the cobbles, um, nice. which, yeah, I think it is, it is important. But at the time, you have to understand just how drunk we were. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was great. 
Um, I don't think you have to be drunk for that. Like, if I visited Albert Square, I'd almost certainly, like, I don't know, push my friend into a, you know, garage car pit, like, feel, like what, like, Grant did with Phil when he found out he was sleeping with his wife. I'd probably try and recreate that or something. Yeah. Or, well, I know what I'd do is I'd spend the entire time in the Queen Vic just handing divorce papers to whoever I was <laughs> and saying, yeah. take that, Angie, we're getting divorced, or whatever the line is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it's all drama, isn't it? Yeah, so. it's like if you visit a TARDIS set. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not going to not walk around it pulling levers, going, oh, there's so-and-so capacitor things. Go, we're, we're falling into another dimension. You have to pretend you're flying a TARDIS. Exactly. In the same way that you have to pretend you're murdering your brother for sleeping with your wife if you're on Albert Square. You've got to do these things. Yeah, it'd be weird if you didn't. <laughs> exactly. You've got to recreate Tina's murder on the cobblestones. Exactly. Otherwise, why have you gone there? <laughs> on that, and I promise we will get back onto the subject on matter that, of the podcast. On that, yeah. have you ever murdered anyone, Aidan? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so have you been to the Doctor Who immersive play that they have in London? No, I don't live in London anymore. Oh, Is it good? I would make the trip down. I haven't a fucking clue what happened. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's very much, I think it is the curse of the immersive experience in that, you know, you go and the, the storylines are not always clear. Uh, in every immersive experience I've been to, there have not been a clear, solid storyline <laughs> because that's kind of not what it's about. What it's about is being in, in a play and having like Cybermen just rock up and having to run away from them and, you know, meeting the Queen and being in a TARDIS and then... And saying bow ties are cool while playing with your bow tie. Exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's really good. I would highly recommend it to anybody who is into Doctor Who. Well, you know um, what to get me for my birthday now, Catherine? I so, do, uh, yes. <laughs> November, the 20, November the 29th, don't forget <gasps> it. You're a November baby too. Even if you have to do a Patreon for something, a Patreon to buy Hayden a Doctor Who experience. <laughs> However yeah. you want to do it, I'm fine with it. Oh, you, when's your November birthday? Uh, 6th November. Ah, 29th. Yeah. Ah, there we go. Well, now Mine's everybody better. is. <laughs> you all know. You all know. Get, get those reminders on your, on your diary, people, on your calendar. Yeah. And would you like to give the good people your home address so they can send you a card? <laughs> Yes, it is five the lanes Harrogate HG three four XY. <laughs> Whose address is that? I don't know, but having com- rifted comfortably, thinking this is no one's address. Yeah, I'm now concerned because the, the lanes is the kind of street name you would have in Harrogate, so it's entirely mm-hmm. plausible someone's now going to get lots of birthday cards and, yeah. and a Doctor Who gift experience. Yeah, uh, and a turd in an envelope. Yeah. Oh. Oh, hey, is that what is that from you? Is that what you're sending? Me yeah, yeah, that's what you have. Um, so you <laughs> you went from your worst yeah. job ever yes. to your best job ever. Yes, I'd say at that time that's accurate. Yeah. yeah. What was the best job ever? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I actually, well, I'd say actually that company. No, actually, maybe that was my best job ever. I used to have a job where, do you remember, you know, one 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 eight one one eight. Yeah. I'm not even thinking that's where you text them a question. Is that right? Is that what it is? Am I, am I make confusing with something else? I think, was that like car insurance or something? I'm oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting confused here. Sorry. Ignore me. I used to have a job called textberting. Right. And this was a craze around 2005, six where pre-smartphones probably taking off. If you texted a question to this mm. number, they would answer anything. Oh my god! And, my, and I, I, my job was I was a text bird, and I would basically log in at home for a few hours, and just I'd log into their portal, and you just see questions popping up, and you pick the one you want to answer, and you find the answer, and you send it back. Oh, it, that sounds amazing. Whether it was the best job I ever had, I don't know, but at that time of my life, it was a very convenient job because I was saving up to go traveling so I had another job and then I was like well when I get home I'll just have my dinner and I'll just log in and answer some questions because you got paid like 30p a question or something so if you answered enough you could really kind of rack up the coins uh, mm. and it's quite good and it was it was interesting because some of it would be like what's the capital of Bolivia 
But we got a lot of, um, at the time, do you remember the band My Chemical Romance? I do. They were quite big. And I think the single was called Gerard Way. Yeah. And we got absolutely, an absolute shit ton of people asking, does Gerard Way have a girlfriend? <laughs> and uh, it, there was, and it, we got it so much, there was a stock answer where you'd just be like, oh, hey, uh, According, from looking at his MySpace page, it doesn't appear that Jared Way has a girlfriend right now. I can't remember what we did. But then you'd also get the same question that of people who weren't famous. So there was like, uh, you know, like red coats at Butlins? Yeah. We would get like, a, there was a period where we got a lot of like, is Tom the red coat? Does he have a girlfriend? <laughs> and like, so you initially have to do some detective work. They're like, oh, we don't know who Tom the Redcoat is. Who's that? And like, oh, he works at Butlins and Pontefract. Does he have a girlfriend? And you just be like, fuck. And he, I think eventually we found his MySpace page. <laughs> we were just like trying to gleam stuff from him. Like, oh, well, you know, it's not like he's a girlfriend, but who knows? Uh, people are strange. I think that was like a 12 year old girl who'd seen him yeah. in his dashing red red trim coat mm. and was like gotta get more I've gotta I've gotta tap that shit yeah and, I the, only, <laughs> and the only people I know to ask about that are the textbooks because they wouldn't be called textbooks if they weren't so that was a fun weird job I did yeah that sounds great um so it was it doesn't, it doesn't exist now because you can just google it can't you on your phone. that's true but are there any um were there any sort of questions that you couldn't answer because I imagine that, you know, like, sort of, uh, no, well, morally, I guess, was the, like, because I, I can imagine people abuse that. Like, you know, stalking a red coat. Yeah. Although, from what I've just said, we were largely facilitated their stalking by pointing out they had a MySpace page yeah. that contained a lot of information about him. I think we did a lot of stuff like, we don't know if Tom the Red Coat has a girlfriend, but we do know his favourite band is... Like a Michael Roberts or, or whatever it was, because that's the kind of we do know the five songs he has on MySpace are these ones. Um uh I can't remember there would definitely be stuff we can't answer. And we would just say we can't answer that, sorry. Um yeah. I mean we may have even not refunded the money, I can't remember. I remember thinking when I went into it, I'm gonna learn so much stuff. And I remember almost nothing, even as soon as the shift ended. Yeah. Just being people go, oh, what did you learn today, Aiden? My brother who was never at the time would ask that. And I'd be like, I, I can't remember because it's just a blur of random shit. Like, yeah. um, the one thing I do remember that was quite interesting is someone did say, <laughs> I, I, I mockingly said tap that earlier. Mm. Someone did ask, where does the phrase, what is the etymology of tap that? As in, she's hot, I'd like to tap that. Mm. And it comes from like beer kegs, uh, uh, barrels of beer they use in pubs, which is they arrive without the tap in and you used to have to drive the tap into it to drain all the liquid from it. Oh. So that's what, uh, that's what tap that comes from. You're oh, basically that's... saying, I'd like to drain all the fluid from that hot person that I just saw. That's what it comes from. Oh, and that's, that's awful. What, it's awful, isn't it? And that's what a year and a half, that's the one thing I took from a year and a half of text putting. Hey, you asked for something awful, Catherine. I yeah. gave you something pretty <laughs> awful. I would like to drain the life from yeah. her. And drink, and drink all the fluid that's in that person. Mm. That's not good, is it? And then move on to the next one. <laughs> yes, exactly. To the next sexy barrel. Oh, my God. Wow. So was that the... Is that killed it? No, Is that yeah, killed the yeah, podcast, lad? <laughs> Cheers. Don't hit the Patreon. See you later. Yeah, I don't even have a Patreon. I should get a Patreon, shouldn't I? I've been doing this for four years. I'm not an expert. Uh, I actually was chatting to Freddie Quinn at a gig last night. I mentioned that earlier off pod. Mm. And uh, he seems to think it's worth it. Patreon. Uh, get a bit of extra money. I think anything like that, like buy me a coffee for this. Because as long as you've got some followers, there'll be some kind souls in there who do it. Yeah, and it's um, I I know that it's it seems like it is just a very quick thing to do, but oh my god, it takes so much time to oh, really? <laughs> to do these. Yeah, you know, editing them and stuff. Oh, um, sorry, yeah, yeah, and then like having to put it all out and things. I'm terrible at promotion, um, which, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is why I can never sell tickets to my shows. Um, I've never been. I've never quite grasped social media promotion. I think it's because I, I'm not wired for it. Like, if you notice people who do well on social media, mm. just are always pumping stuff out. Mm. And I've just had to sort of accept, I don't think I'm that person. Again, maybe if I went pro, I could 
do a bit of content each day to keep the algorithm ticking over. But I just, I'm not, I don't have that. I, I don't even mean it's a criticism. Some people are just like good at social media. They get it. Mm. I just, um, you know, what will happen with me was every 15 days, I think, oh, that was a funny thing. I said, I'll tweet that. And then somehow expect to get a thousand retweets from it. But yeah. actually, I think those things are designed to only reward you if you're giving them a lot of stuff. Yeah. And then be furious when you don't get a thousand retweets. Yeah, exactly. Hey, do you know what, Catherine? If I got 20 likes on a tweet, I would probably take the year off comedy. I'd be yeah. so happy if I just got 20 <laughs> likes. Whereas I know comedians who would view 300 likes as not good enough. It's not what yes. they're aiming for. They've moved <laughs> up a notch. I think the most I ever got was about 400. And I uh, deleted it because some men got involved and started Ooh, calling me names. Dear. And I was like, no. <laughs> the old M word. Oh, God. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> I apologise on behalf of my people. Um, <laughs> well, we don't have a Patreon, but what you could do, audience, is just you find 20 friends and like one of my tweets and I'll be very happy. Yeah. That's, like, that's my Patreon. It's just like some of my tweets, please. <laughs> at Aiden McComedy. Please just like me. Yeah, just like me as a person. That's all the payment I need. Just look at my Twitter avatar and nod and go, I like him. I like that <laughs> face. That's all I need. <laughs> so you had, you, your first job was probably your worst job. Were there any that sort of came close to, to that then? No, I think I've been quite lucky. Um, what was my first, my first job? Oh, actually, no, my very, very first job when I was 15 is I worked in a, uh, uh, a greengrocer's where I was shockingly underpaid. Yeah. Uh, but it was, like, directly opposite my house. It was very convenient. Uh, but, yeah, it just wasn't very well paid. Um, so I suppose that was always, but it wasn't, it wasn't any stories, really. It was just, like, it just was very dull, very underpaid. I did get to work with the greengrocer's daughter who was incredibly hot so 15 year old me at least took that as a win that yeah. I was getting a little bit of close contact with the girl at the greengrocer's that everyone in that Harrogate postcode fancied um so that was the only win and then I then after that I worked for uh, six years as a kitchen porter in various hotels and nursing homes in and around Harrogate and Scarborough where I went to uni uh, but I quite like that. I think I quite like just stuff where you can put the radio on or you can put a podcast on and then just, like, be occupied for a few hours physically. I genuinely don't mind whacking a tray of, of dirty cups into a, into a dishwasher. I like operating the, you know, the big, like, spray gun you have in those places that droops yeah. around over the sink and it's got a lot of power on it. And you can always, like, someone will come in, you can threaten them with it. It feels powerful. Yeah, that, that that gun. So, uh, uh, yeah, and it's why I don't even mind my current job. Like my current job, there's a, there's a big part of my current job is just getting a lot of information into a system. Mm -hmm. I can't, I don't mind it. I don't mind just sitting there and like uh, transfer this across. Work on a good podcast. Work on zero hours with Catherine Matha and just plow through several hours of admin. It's all right. So yeah, I've been quite lucky in my career. The the the, the film company finance one was the only one that I truly despised. Everything else has been broadly fine, I would say. Yeah, I guess. So is that that you like the the sort of mindless? Yeah, the mindless. Of yeah. It. Um, but, then, but then I sometimes worry that I don't. I don't know. I sometimes worry that I'm not pushing myself too much. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe it's just too. Yeah. Maybe it's good. Maybe that's a, it's a good to know who you are in that aspect. Just give me a task, a repetitive task that is easily graspable that will take me six hours to get through. And by God, I will, I will hammer through it. But then is that not that your mind is occupied with other things so that the well, work it, you're doing is mindless? It might be. I often sometimes wonder if I quit stand-up, would I then become some high achiever in my day job? Because all the energy you have would be like funneled into that. Mm -hmm. We would certainly get funneled into the thing where it's like, Obviously, if, you, if, you, if you're getting up an hour before work to write jokes and then you're going into work and then after work you drive into Newcastle to do five minutes of comedy, you've got other stuff on. Um, yeah, I don't really have a, a good answer for that, but uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And on that, do you sort of ever see, could you conceive of living your life without doing comedy or be that stand-up writing, you know, whatever aspect? Um, 
I feel, I don't know, well, I feel like I have to have, I've got to have a creative outlet, man. I've got to, uh, I, don't know, I feel like I've got to have something. Uh, I think if I'd quit stand-up, I'd probably go back to screenwriting in some way uh, and just, you know, doing that in my spare time, I, I guess. But I don't know. But hopefully I won't quit comedy. Hopefully this time in five years I'll be on a Live at the Apollo. Maybe this time in five years I'll be getting 20 likes on my tweets. Who knows? <gasps> the only way is up. <laughs> yeah, uh, that wasn't a question of me suggesting that you should stop doing stand-up. I, just I Catherine Mather, have seen Aiden's comedy <laughs> and I just think... Get back on those sitcom scripts, mate, because uh, you and Nick get out for this. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying at all. You're a very good stand-up comedian. That's okay. why you're on this podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's. I thought I was on this because I begged you to be on it. That as well, and I was like, please <laughs> get off my doorstep. How yeah. do you know where I live? Um, <laughs> what I did was I watched one of these videos, and uh, I know you don't put them online, so that joke no. doesn't work. I just stopped you. Yeah. <laughs> no, what I did was I texted the experts and said, where does Catherine Mather live? And they, <laughs> they went on your MySpace page, mm-hmm. which weirdly predicted where you would be living in 15 years' time. Yeah. Because <laughs> all our MySpace pages are just these, like, time capsules that we planted in the ground in the yeah. mid-noughties. Mid- uh, if I want to know what bands I was into in the mid-noughties, check out my MySpace page. Does, does my, is MySpace still online? Is that well, like I went on it. I went on it last year, and it, it was weird. It was like three of the photos were there, and all the other bits of information were missing. Mm. And so it's odd. It's like a rotting corpse of a social media site where right. it's like the nails are still growing, but uh, yeah. all the flesh is wasted away. Oh God, that's awful. It's quite. Um, it was quite a nice social media, wasn't it? Nice. Well, I'm sure someone tweeted or, 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 or recently something like, it'd be really good if on Twitter you could like, and they weren't being ironic, they, were, they meant it, were like, it would be really cool if you could like list your like top five songs on Twitter or something. And then like some like centrist dad, 40 year old like me was like, hang on, we went through this, this was my space. And yes, <laughs> we, should, we, we should go back to that, that would be great. Yeah, um, I do a poll like on Bieber. Yeah. There is a, I use a social media called um, Letterboxd, and that has a, it's a film one. You can actually list your favourite four films on there, and you can pin them to your thing. That's quite cool. Oh, that's good. I've not heard of that one. It's quite good. Uh, yeah, it's just you review every film you watch, or you can just give it a star rating. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's quite indulgent. It's just me going into way too much detail than anyone cares about whether I like to film or not, and... Uh, I don't get 20 likes on that either. No. Um, so if people could go to my at Aiden the Comedy on Letterboxd and like all my reviews. Yeah, but I is that... Feel, I just want to feel loved, Catherine. <laughs> I just want to feel loved. Is that because there's only 15 people on Letterboxd, though? Yes, exactly. It's impossible. <laughs> so what I'm trying to do is recruit more people to be on Letterboxd. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that we've pretty much at our time now. Um, Can I tell one more job I had? And it was the oh job my that, god, yeah, do. When I messaged you, I was like, oh, I can talk about the weird job I had, but it didn't fit into any of your questions. I did have a job mopping up blood in a hospital. Oh for my three god! Months. Yeah, so I was the kitchen porter in a private hospital in Harrogate, and uh, they the the guy who worked who did that job who mopped up the surgery. He basically every summer he just would blow all his holiday on going back to see his family in like Taiwan or something. Mm. And they said to me, Well, if you're looking for some stuff, do you want to do this? It's like three, three or four hours every day. You wait for all the surgeons to finish and go home. And then you go and then you go downstairs and you you just clean it up. Just there will be bits of blood. Are you okay with that? Mm. And although I am quite squeamish, it's more about blood spurting out of a body that is still active, yeah. not blood that has been spurted and has dried slightly. I'm okay yeah. with that. And yeah, it was great because the entire floor would be dead and I'd just whack on some music really loud because no one could hear it upstairs. And then I'd just walk around like Mrs. Doubtfire, like dancing and mopping up blood. It was like a sort of, if Mrs. Doubtfire was a horror film with like, <laughs> uh, you know, bits of flesh up to the wall and stuff, uh, that's what that job was like. It was all right. What a beautiful good. scene. So you were like, um, like the Saturday girl at the hairdressers just sweeping up all the hair. Yeah, except instead of hair, it was uh, 
it was blood DNA and bits of flesh. <laughs> Arterial <Right>. blood. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. That's intense. So they don't, I assume that that would be a thing that they would do between surgeries. You would clean the blood off the floor. That's a good question. Um, is... Maybe they did. I mean, I don't know. They may, maybe they were doing that in between, or maybe it was just that they didn't have so, because it was a private hospital. Maybe they just didn't have so many of them a day. Maybe, like, they had two or three, you know, surgical rooms. Maybe they could just switch between them as they did, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure it's not like the NHS where they're back-to-backing operations. Yes. Uh, yeah. Wow. So how that was three months that you were doing that for? Yeah, I was at that hospital for like a year, but as I say, it was mainly like kitchen work. Um, mm. But yeah, I was down in the basement uh, mopping up that blood for, for a good three months. I miss yeah. it. Sometimes I, I'll just... Uh, no, I don't know where I'm going with it. <laughs> I was just like, sometimes I'll just cut myself and bleed everywhere just so I can get a squeegee on it. That's just what I like to do. But I don't do that. I don't cut myself. Yeah, so relive the glory days. <laughs> relive the glory days of squeegeeing uh, blood off floors. Yes. Yeah, that's wild. So was it, were there any... And again, and again, just a job where you've got to mop six floors, get through it, listen to something while you're doing it actually not that bad just you know a simple achievable goal were there any days when you were like this is actually a bit much blood no <laughs> it wasn't like um it wasn't like pools it wasn't like the end of the film brain dead or something after they massacre all those zombies it wasn't like reservoir dogs it was more just to be splatter <laughs> right i see so it was probably more like Dexter than, than anything else, just splatter here and there, and you had to make sure it was cleaned up. Um, so no, it wasn't like I once saw a bit of brain. But actually, I would have probably had a bit of a morbid interest if I had seen a bit of brain. I would have been like, oh, look at that. Mm. That's quite cool. So um, yeah, I had the right like, constitution for it. But I'm a bit weird. Like, I couldn't watch someone having blood taken. I can, right. And I can't really get it in myself without freaking out and having a panic attack and having to be restrained. Mm. But as I say blood splattered everywhere absolutely fine with just give yeah. me some bleach a bucket and a mop and i'm, I'm all over that shit <laughs> i want to be near it <laughs> Catherine, if you hear of any blood splatter in london i will be on the first megabus down there oh yeah I'll go I'll and i'll go via wilco to get all the equipment i need mm. and i'll clean it i'll bloody clean it <laughs> i'll be like i feel like i'm 21 years old again i've regained my youth befriending serial killers so you can clean up after them exactly yeah i wonder if you'd get in trouble you would be an accessory to murder there wouldn't you you'd, you'd know yeah well i mean you could the way around it would be like i'm gonna go kill someone in 20 minutes then you you sort of wait just long enough so you can notify the police you're not an accessory mm-hmm. be but not so long but you don't do it quickly enough that the police can stop them mm. and then i show up afterwards with a cleaning van yeah. And just have the time of my fucking life. Yeah. But that yeah, I think you'd get into trouble for that. Do you reckon? Yeah. You know, you're helping out. Oh, well, if they if they knew I'd played the game and waited yeah. too, a bit too long, yeah, I would get trouble. But if they didn't, as far as they're concerned, I'm just a conscientious citizen cleaning cleaning up some blood. Cleaning up evidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Like we were going, we haven't dusted for fingerprints yet, and you've just like sloshed bleachy water everywhere oh sorry i thought i thought i was helping look no. i called it in what more do you want yeah exactly i called it in slightly too late god <laughs> you've got the moon on a stick these guys what well, you knew about this sir no absolutely not absolutely not but also it will be 200 pounds for a deep clean of this apartment so exactly yeah, exactly i'll clean your apartment for you Catherine. But yeah. only if there's blood everywhere. <laughs> only in those circumstances. I can make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, ask no questions. Exactly. Ask no this, questions in our lives. Mm-hmm. This took a really dark turn. And I'm, <laughs> I'm here for it, I'll be honest. Hey, yeah. <laughs> um, where can... What we should have done was you should have ended on, and then I got a job making sign language TV, and it was the best job I ever had. <laughs> the end. That's how it should yeah. have ended. But I'm terrible at editing these things together. So it is just going to be this whole conversation, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that's, that's okay, I think. Um, yes. Where can the good people of the world find you online to give you those sweet, sweet likes? 
I'm consistent across the board in my social media profile. It is at Aiden McComedy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Although I barely update Facebook because it's a nightmare. Do you find the Facebook pages just a fucking nightmare to update? The official oh, one. It's really hard. I still really have hard. brown hair in my <laughs> profile picture. On, and that on was like 20 phone. years ago when you had brown hair. It really was. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I am technically on TikTok, but I'm not really doing anything right at the moment. The world, last year I did run a, do a podcast about films and I did put some of the videos uh, excerpts on there. So feel free to follow me on TikTok and then maybe one day I'll uh, post something on there. But yeah, find me, like me, love me, and I'll have a reason to carry on. Oh, that sounds vaguely threatening. Suicide, it does sound yeah. Like it, yeah, sorry. God. <laughs> We've really fucked the ending of this up. We were yeah. doing so well that it's just gone bleak as hell. <laughs> but I also want to get that printed on a T-shirt. That might be the merch for the podcast. Find yeah. me, like me, love me, so I have a reason to go on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love it. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. Thanks for having me on. This is a really good podcast. As I was saying, pre-pod. It's very well, it's, it's, really, it's stuff everyone can relate to. It's not just comedians. We've all done rubbish jobs. We really and, have. Uh, it's nice to know that we all share that capitalist struggle together. Yeah. Workers, workers of the world unite. Yes. I think that was a good um, yes. idea to end on. Yes. <laughs> Thank cool. You. Thank Bye. you, Catherine.